You are listening to At The Moment with Jules, the podcast that brings you contemporary conversations with wonderful feminists. In this episode, you'll hear my interview with blogger, event planner, and author, Sarah Alexandra Caton. During this interview, we talked about her recently published book called Lessons We Paid For. We also talked about how to take care of your mental health, especially in this political climate, the side effects of being a public figure on the internet, and more. But before we get to the interview, I have some updates and recommendations. This week in Feminus, we just have to talk about the best surprise that came out of the Grammys. The moment Adele accepted the award for Album of the Year. When Adele took the stage, she dedicated her award to the person she, and quite frankly, all of us, dubbed the rightful recipient, Beyoncé. Just minutes before accepting the award, Adele brought us all to happy tears when she asked Queen Bee, point blank, if she would be her mommy. A question that some of us literally think about all day, every day, or at least every time we're faced with a blissful reminder that we walk on this earth at the same time as Beyonce. The Lemonade album was just so monumental, Beyonce. It was so monumental and so well thought out and so beautiful and soul-bearing and we all got to see another side to you that you don't always let us see and we appreciate that and all us artists here We fucking adore you. You are our light. And the way that you make me and my friends feel, the way you make my black friends feel is empowering and you make them stand up for themselves. And I love you. I always have and I always will. The transcript of Adele's tribute to Beyonce shows how powerful it is when women not only support each other, but also encourage, empower and stand up for one another especially when the whole world is watching. The woman I'm recommending you check out this week is the open, honest, and funny Phoebe Robinson. She's a stand-up comedian, writer, podcast host, and actress who Essence and Esquire have called one of the top comics to watch. She's also the author of You Can't Touch My Hair and Other Things I Still Have to Explain. Phoebe tackles gender, race, and equality with humor. Here's a little clip from one of Phoebe's stand-up performances. So if things don't work out between us, I think I'm just going to be done, you guys. <laughs> like, I'm never going to date outside my race again. Uh-uh, nope. <laughs> it's too much work. You have to constantly, like, educate someone else about your culture. And that's why it's great to date within your race, because you can be ignorant together, okay? <laughs> But with interracial dating, you have to know everything about your people and answer all these questions all the time, which is not the point of interracial dating, okay? The point of interracial dating is to make hot Lisa Bonet babies, all right? If you want to hear more from Phoebe Robinson, you're in luck, because she is the host of two podcasts. The first is Two Dope Queens, co-hosted by former Daily Show correspondent Jessica Williams. It's all about showcasing up-and-coming stand-up comedians of all genders, races, and sexual orientations. Phoebe also hosts the critically acclaimed podcast called So Many White Guys, which has none other than Ilana Glazer as its executive producer. So many white guys... Their idea for this podcast was to interview only one token white guy each season to balance out the race and gender representation in the podcast world. If you like liberal people and comedy, you'll love both of these podcasts and Phoebe's book as well. So check them out. 
Hello, everyone. Um, I'm about to talk to a very interesting person right now. We're going to do a Skype interview. It's going to be my first, so I'm excited. I'm here with Sarah Caton. Is that how you pronounce your last name? Yep, that's right. Yeah. Um, and you're in, uh, in Kentucky right now. Yes, I am in Lexington, Kentucky. Okay. Let's start by getting to know you better. Okay. Spend two minutes-ish telling us your life story. Okay. My <laughs> life story. Let's see. Okay. Yeah. I was born and raised in Lexington, where I am still. And so I uh, stayed in the same place I grew up for college. Um, I was definitely very opposite as a child growing up. Um, I was very timid and quiet and much more reserved. Um, but I would say mm -hmm. that changed a lot when I was about 17 and started being much more outgoing and going for like leadership positions and trying to be, um, just bold in everything I do. Mm -hmm. So, um, now I, work as a blogger and I'm an event planner at work. Mm -hmm. So those are big factors that like shape my life right now mm -hmm. um, because work is very important to me. How, how did you get into event planning? Well, I had done events in undergrad um, for different student organizations. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of made sense. Like when I was looking for a job immediately after graduation, um, I liked the university and wanted to stay there in some capacity. And I was confident that I could do event planning. But I work in the College of Agriculture now, which oh, is wow. very unfamiliar <laughs> to me. So, so I do events now that deal with... Um, students and faculty but also we can have like livestock at our events and competitions for like future farmers of america <laughs> which i'm not used to at all that's so cool yeah so it's totally different i learn something new literally every day because i don't have a background in the things i'm working with and so mm -hmm. i have to learn about the type of event that i'm hosting before i can like make decisions and before i can um, make sure that it's what the intended audience is looking for I want to talk more about your book that it just came out. Um, it's called Lessons We Paid For with the yeah. subtitle and other stories from a feminist undergraduate. Um, and I want to talk more about it in a second. But first, when did you realize that you were a feminist? Uh, I think I would have identified as a feminist in high school if I had known the word feminist. Right. So I, I don't think that that word was so blown up um, as it is now, like in media mm -hmm. and in politics. Um, but I was definitely like realizing that I am very much for equality and want to be a leader and recognized as an equal to men and to anyone mm -hmm. in like a professional and social sense. And so I think that I was definitely a feminist then, but it wasn't until I started college and I have a degree in gender and women's studies. Um. And so, um, my freshman year when I started taking those classes and, you know, like learning the history behind feminism and that mm -hmm. it's like very much a political movement mm -hmm. and more than just, you know, a, a social label. Mm -hmm. Um, that's when I really like embrace the identity. Right. It's weird because in, uh, in Norway, uh, actually, there are more men who identify as feminists than women because... Really? Yeah, because uh, I think women are afraid of being labeled as 
this stupid stereotype about being like a man hater. But as a man in Norway, if you say you're a feminist, mm-hmm. you kind of you c- can't go wrong, you know. <laughs> I feel like people here, like it's very uh, far and few between that men openly identify as feminists because mm. it's seen as um, not masculine, right? I guess mm. um, even though like the basis of feminism is simply equality and shouldn't be like gendered in any way, but that's kind of how it turns out. What has feminism meant to you in your life? Um, for me, it's been very important um, in the workplace, especially because mm-hmm. um, it's made me strive for positions that I normally may not have seen myself as qualified for, or that society wouldn't have seen me as qualified for. Mm. So I've just, you know, sh- like strived to be a leader and strived to continue to work harder and be respected for my professional abilities. Um, so that's been mm-hmm. extremely important to me. Have you read um, Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In? I Yes. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's so funny. So um, my next project that I'm actually working on, uh, writing right now, mm-hmm. we're trying to create kind of like a prelude to Lean In mm-hmm. um, because it's it's tailored to graduates. And so we're trying to get people kind of on the front end. And so that way people aren't waiting till post-grad to really think about what it means um, to be a professional and so Mm -hmm. that if people come into college with that mindset Mm -hmm. they would be so much better off right yeah that's so cool let's talk about your first book (laughs) (laughs) absolutely it's so impressive to me how old are you I'm 23 yeah right so you're the same age as me I can't even imagine being able to call myself an author right now (laughs) get 23 that's so crazy but tell me about the process. Like, where did you, where did the idea come from, and how did you motivate yourself? And did you have any kind of routine for your writing process? Absolutely. So um, I initially got the idea when I was a junior in college because I'm kind of a blogger by trade, and so mm-hmm. I had had my website since 2013, and um, most of the most successful content that I've shared on there and the most successful posts have been about feminism and college experiences and Mm so um taking that and realizing that that's what people care about as an audience Mm -hmm. I just really kind of ran with that and given that it's an experience-based book Mm -hmm. I had endless content because I was still in undergrad and so I had you know everything fresh in my mind but I went to a conference for blogging mm-hmm. the summer before my senior year of college. And I was the youngest person at the conference by 10 years. And people oh, wow. definitely let, let me know that. <laughs> yeah, you were the baby. I, I, I was. And I was very much treated <laughs> like that. But I got tons of good advice from people who had taken, you know, their blog content and really expanded and transformed it to be more that could be printed in text. And so I took their ideas and kind of their, um, their horror stories even, and like learned from their Mm. mistakes. And I, I made the decision to self publish my book because it Mm. was cheaper from the get go to do that. Um, for me, and I didn't have a lot of startup money to really like fund the project. Um, I also got to 
control all factors of production that way. So I got to hire people who were in college to do my editing, to do my graphic design for the cover. So Mm -hmm. everything from start to finish in this book was done by people who identify as feminists and are collegiate women. Mm -hmm. And so that was so important to me to like write a book for college women by college women start to finish. Yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Could you give me and the listeners a general idea of what 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 are these lessons we paid for, so to speak? Absolutely. So I try to group the book by experience types. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of starts with the more stereotypical aspects of college um, and like where you'll live, like if you live in a dorm or if you live in an apartment and the experience is attached to that. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into, you know, how you'll learn and what you'll learn. But I try to do a different take on, you know, just going to class and, you know, going for what you truly paid for and getting an education because mm-hmm. there, there's so much more that you learn that is social, that people act like doesn't exist in college Mm. you you think it's just an academic experience but it's definitely more than that definitely yeah yeah so the book from there kind of goes into um an analytical approach with feminist experiences in college and how I made decisions based on my feminism Mm -hmm. um as they pertain to social situations as they pertain to working in college um Mm -hmm. having relationships and then I really found a void in women's like feminist literature about college and they fail to talk about mental wellness and well-being a lot and that that is something that is impossible to neglect in this day and age I feel like and if you I'm I like to stress the fact that I was like I am not a doctor but I understood from my own experiences how important it is to develop a system of stress management and mm-hmm. situations like that because if you don't college can be kind of unbearable and overwhelming in mm-hmm. many times yeah especially if you experience a kind of systematic uh, discrimination Absolutely. and and where typically that's high school and college is kind of the uh, maybe especially college is the time where most people kind of realize these kinds of things. I would definitely say that's the case. I, um, well, I was a gender and women's studies major, so I like mm. to joke that we're just a big group of activists, you know, in training. <laughs> um, but so I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by feminists all throughout college that were very like-minded and goal-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would definitely say that college is a period when you're, your beliefs may change because they're challenged from how you grew up. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of people leave their hometowns, leave their parents, and they realize there's a different, there's different perspectives on almost every topic that they've never been exposed to. Mm-hmm. So they definitely kind of are challenged in their values often. And they're challenged in just their general outlook on life and world beliefs. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely say that there's like a period of change that happens there that. Um, is almost unavoidable if you're in a college setting that's, you know, a public forum and it's in a space where people are not like you every day. Mm, that's so cool. And there were men as well uh, studying uh, women's studies? There were. Um, I, <laughs> I would say the ratio was definitely as anticipated, so definitely yeah. more men than women. Yeah. But um, we did. We had men in our program, and it was really exciting because um, – there, there were men in the program that de- were declared as majors and minors at the university in gender studies, mm-hmm. but a lot of the time, 
there would be a lot of men in the intro level classes. Mm -hmm. So the 200 and 201 classes that were about um, pop culture and sexuality and media. And um, it's very Mm eye-opening for some people because they've never heard the word feminism. They've never heard it explained in an academic setting other than, you know, memes on the internet or something. So they... uh, It was a very interesting experience to come in as a feminist, but to see people kind of have their eyes opened to it in the classroom. Yeah. But I definitely was in a cohort of awesome, like, men and women who identified as feminists, you know, regularly and openly, and they were very passionate about social justice. Mm -hmm. But it was cool because they have their own interest so certain people might be interested in like reproductive justice or they might be interested in equal pay movements or voting uh, policies and so there's different aspects of feminism and you know equality that they can strive for and so we all had our own Mm. like focus area essentially and that was really cool to see people delve deeper into their own interest how do you have time to run a blog (laughs) do event planning and write a book how do you manage to be so productive and get all these things done? Um, I don't sleep. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I, I've i had to kind of give up some of my tendencies that I would have had. Like if anybody had known me in high school, they would probably call me a perfectionist and say that mm-hmm. I'm definitely the type of person that would be hyper fixated on details and make sure that everything is like – fully prepared in the best of my ability. Mm. Um, And I've had to let go of that a little bit just to make sure I can like manage everything effectively. Mm. Um, And so just be confident in the work I put forth and not have to spend as much time revising and, you know, harping over the same details over and over again. Um, Mm. But that was kind of really challenging for me when I wrote the book because I had a deadline when, if, when I wanted to release it, and mm. I, you know, even if I didn't feel inspired that day necessarily to write or to edit, I kind of had to because I, I was on a deadline, and so mm. I'm very much oriented by my deadlines, and I, you know, keep daily to-do lists and, you know, get a lot of satisfaction with being able to cross, like, a lot of items off of my to- to-do list every day, mm. um, and so I just kind of keeps me focused and makes sure that I know um, w- what I need to do. Wow, that's impressive and inspiring. And how do you stay motivated to do all these things? Is it kind of just a question of habit? I stay passionate because I stay very aware of current events and things are happening. And I see a need for writing a certain article or I see a need for promoting a certain company because um, mm-hmm. they are doing awesome work. And so that that kind of inspires mm-hmm. me along the way. But um, I love being busy. I love staying active, you know, whether it's with work or a community project. So um, Mm -hmm. it's really important to me that I I feel like fulfilled in a day and purposeful. Mm -hmm. So that that kind of keeps me keeps me going. But I, I would definitely say that I stay inspired because my blog and social media following has grown a lot in the past couple of years and 
I have a sense like of accountability with my followers now. So, you know, if, if I don't post on social media for three or four days, I have people that will like message me on Instagram that are strangers and will be like, are you okay? Is everything okay? We haven't heard from mm. you in a week. And I was like, no, I'm just on vacation or something. <laughs> so uh, I, I have people like holding me accountable that I really don't even know now because I have a public platform mm-hmm. and um, that's, that's, daunting because you feel like a sense of obligation to provide Mm -hmm. content but it's also motivating right yeah and do you ever experience hate like Um, trolls yes (laughs) yeah I I would say that with any internet platform you're gonna get a sense of backlash or disrespect Mm -hmm. um just because people get a rise out of that which I don't condone obviously but um I, I always welcome people, especially on the more, like, controversial topics I write on or if something's, like, political in nature. I want people to mm-hmm. comment and I want feedback because I would rather start a conversation that's beneficial to an audience rather than just share my opinion and assume that everyone agrees with me because mm-hmm. that that's not healthy. You know, you want to start conversation and dialogue. Yeah. But, yes, I've definitely gotten, you know, the comments and the hateful messages and... I, I try to be as, like, blunt as possible on my blog. Like, I I have a fashion component to my Instagram account. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, if if you don't like what I'm doing, then don't follow me. There's no reason for you to be here. But I also don't want people to follow me if they, um, like, glorify my lifestyle or, like, you know, want to be me, per se. Right. Because I want to emphasize individuality mm-hmm. and everybody's own sense of style. Right. And speaking of, like current events and and starting a conversation you know I think most of my listeners are from Norway and England and Europe in general um since you're from America Mm -hmm. what do you think about the situation in America right now like what are you feeling as a feminist I mean it's it's a scary situation so I am a feminist and, you know, by nature of Mm -hmm. feminism, I can't condone a lot of the decisions that are being made and um, the language that's being used right now um, from our administration and government right now. But um, it's, it's, it's a really hard position because as a white perceived as upper middle class woman in, in American society, I have an innate amount of privilege and I can comment on these issues, but right. yeah. under the type of administration we have, I'm very much protected, and my speech is protected, and as well as my lifestyle. So I think it's important that I use that positionality in my platform to talk about people who don't have a voice right now mm-hmm. in government, in um, the decisions that are being made, both socially, politically, economically. Yeah. And so I try, I try to be an advocate and an ally in as many ways that I can, and writing is my is my best platform for that. I mean, I'm definitely not their type to, like, post a bunch of videos and, like, post my face everywhere as, like, a political advocate. Mm-hmm. But I write as much as I can. Um, I attend local events as much as possible. Um, there have been tons of actual, like, rallies and protests in Lexington um, over the past few weeks. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy to see because Lexington has never been a huge, like, politically charged climate, um, nor, nor has the whole state of Kentucky, for that matter. No. And um, it's been really cool to see a lot of people come together and kind of come out of their, 
their safe corners to be public about their opposition and to rally around kind of this like common sense of disagreement <laughs> with yeah. the, with the climate. So it's it's been really interesting to see. Yeah. I was thinking uh, earlier today about the fact that there's been a lot of talk about white feminism lately. Absolutely. And I think what you were saying earlier about when you have a voice speaking up for people who don't have a voice, mm -hmm. from what I understand, that's kind of the problem that, pe that people have or that women of color uh, have with white feminism, mm -hmm. uh, that white women are only speaking about the issues that that pertain to them and Absolutely. not uh, problems that are specific to women of color. Do you have any like thoughts on that? Yeah, I I would say that that is absolutely true. And mm -hmm. there is a huge, uh, if you want to call it wave, I mean, the history of feminism is identified in waves and mm -hmm. white feminism, I think, is definitely one of those waves. Mm -hmm. um, but the issue that I have um, with a lot of people who identify as activists, and mm -hmm. I, I don't speak for everyone, but from my experience as publicly identifying as a social activist, um, it's exhausting. So, so being an activist is semi a full-time job because you feel like you have to be on your game and defensive in any situation because if your views are public, you know, anyone could approach you at any time and, you know, kind of challenge you. Right. So I, I feel like it's, it's hard to be an activist right now mm -hmm. and to feel like I can speak for everyone because I know I can't. I know yeah. I don't have the life experience and the know to defend everyone and to make sure that everyone is represented equally so it's like mm -hmm. one of those like pick and choose your battle situation um yeah and I I can't stress enough the importance of like mental wellness and mental fortitude when you are talking about activism and social justice because if you don't take care of yourself and establish your wellness and well-being and your opinions um, and solidify mm -hmm. that, you really can't speak out on behalf of someone else that's marginalized because you have to be confident in your values and where you stand first. And the, mm -hmm. the issue with white feminism a lot of the time is that people get wound up in where they stand and forget that there's mm -hmm. other people that are subverted on a daily basis beneath them in, in any sense mm -hmm. of the word. I mean, it could be demographics related. It could be, you know, professionally um, related, but mm -hmm. you, you have to use that positionality as best as you can, but also not sacrifice yourself and your wellness in the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's where a lot of white feminism fails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's about not only uh, speaking up about, problems that you have faced yourself, but also talking about race and uh, sexuality, like it, and, and acknowledging the fact that mm -hmm. if you are a woman, but also a woman of color or, or a woman who is mm -hmm. gay or trans, or there are just so many layers. I mean, that's just double the discrimination um, absolutely yeah I mean if you if you identify as somebody who is gay or bisexual or part of the LGBT community and you have another facet tied to that such as like an unpopular political identity um, a race that's been traditionally marginalized that is like multiple levels of 
marginalization you're experiencing on a daily Mm -hmm. basis and Mm -hmm. people don't really acknowledge the different facets and ways you can be subverted in popular culture Mm -hmm. and I I will say maybe you can speak to this from the perspective in Europe but Mm -hmm. I think it's completely a misconception in American media and in just even in the university culture Mm -hmm. that white feminism means white women yeah um, because that, that is just simply not true. Even though it was based around a race and there were people who spearheaded the white feminist movement in a sense, mm-hmm. um, that were white women, white feminism is kind of a blanket statement to say that you are practicing a limited sense of feminism and yeah. saying that you're not really considering the full picture. Mm-hmm. Um, but so many people hear that and they're like, oh, it's purely white women and that's the type of feminism that they're identifying with. But it's so much more than race and so much more complex than mm-hmm. just um, boiling down to the fact that you're white and you're identifying as a feminist. Yeah, and uh, I think a lot of us, do have our causes that we're especially, you know, passionate about. But yeah, we should keep that in mind that um, we have to fight for people who are who are less privileged. Absolutely. You were talking about um, mental health and kind of self care. Do you have any? Do you have any advice for people who feel exhausted, who who are overwhelmed by the internet, by all kinds of social pressure? What can they do to take care of themselves and their men- mental health? Well, given that a lot of my like part-time work and even you know my main full-time job revolves around a digital and mm-hmm. virtual community, um, I really still think there's immense value in having a limited amount of screen time mm-hmm. and a limited amount of connectivity because if you don't separate yourself from what's happening – you kind of stop participating in what's happening with yourself and internally Mm -hmm. um, because you're so concerned with outward appearances and what's going on with other people that you kind of lose your sense of self sometimes. Mm -hmm. So um, disengaging from digital devices um, is very, very important if you're feeling overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's also important to remember that you're not alone and there are plenty of forums even within the internet and in in face-to-face communities where you can go and discuss these because there's always going to be someone who shares your opinion Mm -hmm. no matter if if I agree with it or not there's going to be someone who shares your opinion Mm -hmm. and having that dialogue is so so vital to feeling validated and feeling like you have a purpose Mm -hmm. so um if, if you're feeling overwhelmed, it, like, for example, in this political climate in America right now, yeah. I mean, it might not be the healthiest thing to vent on Facebook, but you, you're going to find people who share your opinion. And it, it's important that you link up with them mm-hmm. in, in whatever your beliefs are, because y- y- it's not we don't live in a culture where you can do this by yourself anymore because we, we're so interconnected. Yeah. So um, that that that's important to me, mm-hmm. and I, I would just say like don't don't get fixated on media portrayals because they change in a second. So what what was hip twenty minutes ago will change if somebody of a different level of clout says it's mm-hmm. uncool. Yeah. So um, don't don't get too fixated on digital trends and fads because they they are so transient. Mm. Yeah, choosing what to ignore and what to focus on and finding your own balance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. For example, with this podcast, like for me, it's a really positive thing because I feel like this is where I can channel all my 
energy, like when it comes to feminism, when it comes to my political opinions and and my interest in different people and diversity and kind of creating something with that energy and with that passion, it kind of, it helps to create something and put it out there so that you kind of get it out of your system in a way. Absolutely. You're actually doing something instead of just taking it all in and feeling helpless. Yeah. Yeah. Having that creative outlet is so essential Mm. for me. You know, that's how my blog began. I started it for a class project and it was actually written in Spanish uh, Mm. when I launched it. And so it was a bilingual blog for a year almost. And then I I, uh, kind of diverted away from that because I didn't have as much of an audience that appreciated the Spanish side. Um, (laughs) So I, I moved away from that and, it was very much a sense and platform of personal expression. Mm-hmm. And now, now, I mean, it's obviously changed because it's in a way a business for me. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still, it's still where I go. And it's my space that I get to share my thoughts, my feelings and my emotions about what's happening. And mm-hmm. I, I like to use the phrasing, you know, I don't vent on Facebook because everyone complains about the people who post long rants on Facebook post. But mm-hmm. I was like, you clicked to come to my blog. So you are accepting mm-hmm. the fact that this is my space in which I voice yeah. my opinion and you chose to be mm-hmm. here. So yeah. um, that that's why I appreciate having so many platforms like that on um, the internet because it, mm. it gives you your own space and there's nothing that you can't do. What's your blog called for anyone who wants to um, take a look? Sure. My blog is called Space, Place, and Southern Grace. And so that is the URL. And my Instagram where I cover fashion, pop culture, and current events is the handle mm-hmm. at Space, Place, and Grace. Okay. Yeah, I can't. And I can't wait for your second book. Are you writing it now? Or are you in the process of writing it? We, we are in the process. I'm going to be co-authoring a book. Um, there mm. is a co-worker at the University of Kentucky where I work, um, and we are working together kind of on a project that expands the learning section of my book. So um, mm. this this upcoming project will kind of omit the more social side of college to really mm. hyper-focus on the professional and academic components of success in college. So it's going to talk mm. about like decorum and behavior um, and, and decisions that you can make to be successful and get a job post-grad that's awesome I'm so excited yep so look look for that next year (laughs) definitely will and I wish you all the luck (laughs) thank you (laughs) and I'm guessing you'll become some great leader someday or very soon or maybe you already are (laughs) but um I'm gonna continue to follow your work and yeah um, Thanks for being on my podcast, Sarah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So that was my lovely conversation with the wonderful feminist, Sarah Caton. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and follow us on Facebook. We're also on Instagram, where I would love to have more followers. I'm not going to lie. But if you want to do me a favor today, if you just feel like doing me a favor, rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks. Talk to you next episode. Episode.